Let's pray. Let's pray. So, Jesus, we do. We come to you, the fountain, streams of living water. And we, our prayer this morning is that the peace and love that flows from you would envelop us, that we'd lose ourselves in it, and in losing ourselves, we'd find what it means to really truly live. So please, speak, do what only you can do. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. What are we doing here? I mean, have you ever stopped to think about that? I don't mean the existential question of what are we doing here on this little blue ball that we call earth. I'm not asking about the purpose of life or anything all that deep, to be quite honest with you. I'm simply asking, what are we doing here at this moment in time for this hour and 15 minutes on a Sunday morning? I mean, my guess is you... You got up, you set your alarm to wake up. Now, you're the, you're the not quite as early crew, I, I get that, but you either, got, uh, you either set your alarm to wake up or somebody woke you up. Anybody want to go there this morning? Yeah, okay, so um, we, we all needed to confess a little bit already, those of us who got woken up, but you set your alarm, woke up, brewed some coffee, went downstairs, ate some breakfast. If you have kids in tow, you tried to force them to eat, which didn't go all that well, um, you tried to force them to get into the car. If you're like me you have, and have a three-year-old, you got your three-year-old into the car. He insisted in buckling himself in, which means that you all sat in the car for five minutes waiting for him to buckle himself in. You got here, and if you had kids, you went to check them in, and you encountered a system that we haven't quite worked all of the bugs out of yet. I promise we will, and it's going to be awesome when we do. You went over to the Cambros of coffee, and you may have squeezed out a half cup of coffee. Um, you may not have. You came in here, you sat down, and immediately when you sat down, I said, will you stand up? <laughs> right? And then we sang some songs, which have you ever noticed that this is the only place where we do something like that? Like throughout your week, there's no other time where you gather together with a bunch of other people and sing songs. This is unique. Now, why are we here. Uh, are we here because we're bored on a Sunday morning and we need something to do? Why are we here? Why do we gather? Well, the passage of scripture we're going to look at this morning is going to answer for us, in part at least, why we're here. And that passage is Psalm 122. Will you turn there in your Bible if you have one with me? Psalm 122. And Psalm 122 is a, a part of a bigger package of psalms called the Psalms of Ascent. Psalms of Ascent are um, Psalm 120 through 134, those 15 psalms. And they were psalms that were uniquely designed for the nation and the people of Israel. They were psalms that the people of Israel read as they hiked to Jerusalem. Now, for every male, they would have been required, if they were able, to get to Jerusalem for one of three feasts every year. And so they would go on this trip. It was either... Um, <clears throat> And they would go along with a number of other people. I mean, you have to imagine that there were somewhere between, depending on whose numbers you agree with, somewhere between a half a million and two million people that would flood into the city of Jerusalem to celebrate these feasts. And the Psalms of Ascent, they functioned sort of like um, a backpacking hymnal. 
They were songs that they'd sing along the way. So if you like musicals, this is for you. This was a hike where you're going along and song just bursts out. If you don't like musicals, you may have wanted to walk alone and just read them as poems, okay? I get it. I get it. But Psalm 122 is an invitation for us to look towards Jerusalem with the people of God. You see, because the journey in their psalms of ascent reflect our journey as followers of Jesus. They were singing on their way to celebrate a feast, but we are gathering together to remind ourselves of a Savior. And they sang of their protection They sang of God's goodness. They sang of God's love. They reminded themselves of the story, the bigger story that they were found in. And in that way, the Psalms of Ascent minister to our souls as well. Listen, Psalm 22, Psalm of David. Here's what he says. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Our feet have been standing within your gates, O Jerusalem. Jerusalem built as a firmly bound city, which tribes go up to the tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions' sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord our God, I will seek your good. And the theme of the psalm, this psalm, can be found in the very first verse. And here's what David said. I was glad when they said to me, what? Let us go to the house of the Lord. So he says, as I'm starting this journey Something within my soul wells up, and I'm glad when it's time to go to God's house. I'm glad when it's time to go to worship. And that's what David's writing about in this psalm. He's writing about worship. Now, just a quick clarification. There is a sort of general or generic worship that's simply the gaze and direction of your heart. You are a worshiper. You worship 24 hours a day, seven days a week. There's never an empty throne on anybody's heart. Our devotion goes towards something. Look up at me for just a second. You do not worship because you are a Christian. You worship because you are a human. It's something that we do. It's what we were designed for. It's what we were made for. But... That's not what David is talking about in this psalm. He's not talking about the generic 24 hours a day, seven days a week worship that you were designed for. He's talking about the practice of worship, the specific practice of worship that we're doing this morning that they did in the temple or the synagogue as Hebrew people that we do when we gather together as the church, as the people of God. He's talking about the decision that we make to position ourselves under the authority of God and say, God, we long for you to speak. That's what he's talking about. Now, the question you might push back with is, well, if we're supposed to live lives of worship, why do we need this one hour every Sunday? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked that. Here's why. Because the practice of worship, what we do, 
And this time together shapes the entire life of worship. What we do when we gather together for the practice of worship is intended to shape and to define the way that we live every single minute of every single day. Think of the nation of Israel. They had seven feasts that they celebrated. But these seven feasts, they took up a very small portion of their year, but they were intended to remind themselves of the often clouded realities that surrounded them and that they lived in every single day. The feasts and going to temple were anchors in the soil of their days intended to shape and define their entire life. So what are we doing here? Well, we're gathering for the practice of worship because we believe as followers of Jesus that the practice of worship, that what we do when we gather together helps to give texture to, helps give content to, help give, helps give structure to the entirety of the lives of worship that we are called to live for the glory of God. That's why we gather together. I hope it's not just because you're bored on a Sunday morning. And I hope it's not just because you have done this for your entire life. I hope that's not why you come. I hope you come because you're convinced that what we do here shapes everything that you do out there. You might have noticed that their worship is a bit contentious. It's a bit divisive. And if you haven't noticed that, praise the Lord. You've only been in church. This is your first Sunday. God bless you. We're glad you're here. I mean, worship has been divisive. There's been questions about worship. There's only for 2,000 years has the church debated about worship. What type of songs should we sing? Should we sing ancient songs or should we sing modern songs? How, how bright should the lights be? Should the lights be all the way on? Should they be all the way off? Should they be somewhere in between? Should the pastor or the person who's speaking, should he wear a suit? Should he wear a tie? Is he allowed to wear jeans? What should the liturgy look like? What should we do with this hour that we have together on a Sunday morning? There's whole denominations built around the answer to that question. Do you know why that question's debated? Because it's debatable. That's why. So if anybody says to you, hey, we nailed it. This is exactly what the Bible says this time should look like when you gather together as the church publicly to practice worship together. If anybody tells you this is exactly what it should look like, be skeptical and run the other way. Because there isn't anything in scripture that's prescriptive and says this is what it needs to look like. We have a lot of description about what the church does when it gathers together, but nowhere do we find God saying in his scriptures, this is what it must look like all the time, every time. Which, this is for free this morning, which makes this one of the most culturally transferable, beautiful invitations the world has ever seen. Because on every corner of the globe, people can take the content of these scriptures and worship God in a way that feeds their soul and is a reflection of their culture. I wasn't planning on saying that, but that's just true, so it's good. As you know, even in Jesus' day, worship has been debated. Um, so Jesus encounters a woman at the well, and this woman identifies Jesus as God or as a prophet of God. And she, in light of that, listen to what she asks him. 
The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. And so I got one question I've got to ask you, one question that's been gnawing at me, one question that's been circulated around our town and our city and our day, one question we've been arguing about. Our fathers worshiped on this mountain, but you say that Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Isn't that interesting? Jesus, she identifies as a prophet and has one question, hey, when we gather publicly for the practice of worship, where should we do that? And remember, she's not asking about how do we live lives of worship 24-7. She's talking about what we are doing here this morning. Listen to the way Jesus responds. He says, but the hour is coming and is now here when true worshipers will worship the Father in what? Spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such a people to worship him. So here's his point. It doesn't so much matter the, the place that you worship. But the person you worship, that's what's important. And, and the way that you go about worshiping, is your head engaged in it? Is your heart engaged in it? Are you fully in or is this something that you're going through the motions and doing? It was such an important question for her. It just gnawed and ate at her. What are we doing here this morning? Well, we are intentionally practicing Worship, because we believe that the practice of worship shapes and defines a life of worship. And I just want to drill deeper into how David draws that reality out in this psalm. So if you have your Bible, Psalm 122, and we're just going to walk through this together. Listen to what he says. He says, I was glad when they said to me, let us go to the house of the Lord. Now, just a quick time out. Don't you love David's almost giddiness? Like, hey, it's time to make this journey. It's time for people to come and descend on this city to worship our great God. I grew up in a household where we went to church every single Sunday. It wasn't a debate. We didn't get up and go, hey, should we go today or not? It was, we just, it was Sunday. We went. And my father would wake us kids up by singing, <clears throat> rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, rise and shine and give God the glory, glory, children of the Lord. Right, and when I was a teenager, I would much rather have been a child of the pillow, okay? <laughs> but yeah, rise and shine and give God the glory, children of the Lord. He always seemed glad to come to meet with the church to declare the glory of God. I didn't always see eye to eye with him. I don't know how you feel about what we do in this space, in this time, but David said, I'm glad. And he says, let us. This is a communal pursuit. The tribes are referenced here. This isn't us. This is people journeying together, going to meet with God. And he says, let us go to the what? house of the Lord. If you were to come and knock on my door, the door of my house, my guess is that you would anticipate that somebody from my house would come and would greet you. And David's saying, God, we're coming into the space that you inhabit. We're coming and positioning our hearts. We are knocking on the door of heaven, entering your house, because our expectation is that we would meet with you. So what are we doing here during this hour that we have together? 
Well, we're engaging in the practice of worship, and worship, it positions us to encounter the presence of God. It's not that God is in other places. It's that he meets us in a unique way when we gather together as the church. We are here because worship is intended to stir our hearts with the reality of the presence of the king. And please hear me on this. Worship, or what we do on a Sunday morning, is not intended to satisfy our desire for the presence of God. It is intended and designed to whet our appetite. We should leave this place going, I want more. In fact, we should leave this place going only every single minute of every single day should satisfy the desires that have been stirred in me to live under the umbrella of the presence of this great God. There's nothing special about the place, but there is something distinctly special about the communal pursuit. Listen to the way that David echoes this in Psalm 63. He says, I've looked upon you in the sanctuary, beholding your glory and your power. So I wanted to ask, like, Maybe you're here and you hear this and you say, all right, worship positions us for presence, but that isn't something that you sense when you come here. That's not something that you feel. Uh, I wanted to answer the question, well, how can we position ourselves better to receive the presence of God that he longs to pour out on his people in worship? Because worship doesn't happen because you just show up. How many know that? Worship happens when we show up with a heart that says, God, I want to encounter you. So let me give you three quick things. How we position ourselves to receive his presence. One, we position our hearts through confession. Okay? We position our hearts through confession. It means that before we get here, we take time to say, God, would you search me and would you know me? And if there's any way offensive within me, would you, would you draw it out? Because I'm going to intentionally lay myself before you. And if there's any junk in my life in the way, I want to get that out of the way before we go. And it's confessing all throughout. Like when we sing songs like, um, uh, like um, what's a song about peace? It is well with my soul. I can't tell you how many songs I've sung that, how many times I've sung that song and thought, it's not well. And I sing it, but I sing it as a confession. God, make it well. Make it well. We position our hearts through confession. Second, we position our heads through intentional focus. Okay? So if you don't come in here with the decision made, I'm going to focus I'm going to think about the songs that we sing. I'm going to think about the words that we say. I'm going to think about the prayers that we pray and the scriptures that we read. It's going to pass you by if you don't intentionally say, I want to be here. It is. Our, we live in a culture where our attention span is rapidly decreasing. You may or may not be aware of this. In the last 15 years, the average attention span has gone from 12 seconds to 8 seconds. It's a rapid decline. And a goldfish has an attention span of nine seconds. 
I know, it's hilarious. You know, and that is, it's funny. You know what's not funny? We are getting dumber as a species. We are. We are. It's hard for us to focus. And so one of the things we do when we come to worship is we say, God, I want to intentionally come and connect with you. It's the same if you go out um, on a date with your boyfriend or girlfriend or husband or wife. If you have something in between you that's distracting you the entire time, you don't get to connect with them, do you? Same's true when you come to worship. So we position our hearts through confession, our heads through focus, and finally our bodies through posture. We are holistic beings, friends. So when you're talking with somebody that, do, that you don't like what they're saying, innately, without even thinking about it, you'll sit back in your chair and cross your arms and go like this. Now, everybody that had their arms crossed just went like this. <laughs> okay. And go like this. Why? Because you're saying, I'm closed off to you. I'm, I'm blocking myself from you. And there will be times when you don't feel like singing. There will be times when you don't feel like listening. There will be times when you don't feel like raising your hands to declare the glory of God. But when you do that, God can trigger something in your soul that awakens you to his glory and his presence and to receive from him. So sometimes we act our way into feeling. We don't feel our way into acting. Let us go to the house of the Lord, to meet with God. Verse three, here's how David continues. Jerusalem, built as a city that's bound firmly together, to which the tribes go up to, tribes of the Lord, as was decreed for Israel to give thanks to the name of the Lord. There, thrones for judgment were set, the thrones of the house of David. Jerusalem, built as a well-built city. Now, if you were to go and read about the city, the actual physical city of Jerusalem, you would see this reflected, that the architecture of the city seems to be uh, planned out, seems to have been thought through. There aren't a lot of awkward gaps or places where people look at it and go, well, I'm not sure what they were thinking there. No, it was intentional, every piece of it. But I don't think that's as much what David is writing about here. I think the point David is making is actually found down here in verse 5. He says, when we go there, when we go to worship, there are thrones of judgment that are set, thrones, um, the thrones of the house of David. He's going, when we walk there, we, we see judgment. And here's the thing, that's a really negative word in our minds. That's a scary word. We were driving back from California, and we drove past a house that had this big white cross in its backyard. And the cross had John 3.16 written on it. For God so loved the world, he gave his only son. Whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. And I went, wow, that's one way of getting the word out. And then on the very bottom of the cross, there was this huge sign in all caps. And it said, judgment is coming. And I thought, whoa. So the message is, surrender to the love of God before he judges you for not doing so. Right? I mean, I'm going... I don't exactly know if that's the best way to go about evangelism. But judgment is coming. And it has this negative connotation. But if you go and you look up this word judgment, here's what you're going to find. Here's what judgment means. Judgment is the straightening out of that which is crooked or the healing of that which is broken. Judgment is God taking all of the wrongs of the world and making them right. 
And so when David says, listen, we go to the house of the Lord, and it's a well-built city, and there's judgment there, here's what he's saying. He's saying God takes us when we're sort of flying upside down, and we're out of sync, and we're out of joint, and what he does in worship is he reminds us of who he is, of what he's done, and of what's most true of the world that we live in. It's the action by which he straightens things out, and he puts them to rights. That's what judgment is. And so when we come and we worship, here's what we're doing. We're reorienting our lives around a greater reality. A reality that's often clouded in the day-to-day life. A reality that often slips our mind. Worship is intended to remind us of the way that things actually are. Because I have a tendency to get caught up in the immediate. I have a tendency to get caught up in the scarcity. I have a tendency to get caught up in the violence of this world, and I forget that every square inch of this globe is owned by my Father. And worship reminds me of that reality. Look at the way that David sort of draws this out for us in Psalm 63. He said, there's three things he points to about seeing and looking on and beholding God in his temple. Here's what he's reminded of, the deeper reality he's reminded of. One, God, you are glorious and you are powerful. I hope every single Sunday we gather, you walk out of here remembering God has never thought, I wish I could or I wish I didn't or if only my hands weren't tied, I would fill in the blank. Every single Sunday we gather, I want to remind you that Jesus, the slain, risen Messiah, sits enthroned above all of the earth. He's comfortable. All of creation bows down at his word. I want you to get that every Sunday because I can get caught up in the fact that there's some things in this world that don't go the way that I wish they would. Second, he says, oh, we're reminded of your steadfast love. Your love that holds us even when we let go. Your love that's faithful even when we fail. God, you don't let go of us and in worship we're reminded of that reality. And so in light of that, David says, I will bless you. You're worthy of it. Your your glory, your name, all that you've done, all that we see throughout history. God, you are worthy to be lifted high above it all. As St. Augustine So aptly puts, a Christian should be an alleluia from head to foot. And so in the practice of worship, we are reminded that we are intended and designed to live lives of worship and reorienting ourselves around the truth of who God is, is one of the things that helps us do that. And so every time we get together, we're going to read from the scriptures. Every time. My mom had this saying. She said, "If if I don't need my Bible, I don't need to be there. And I agree. If you ever don't need your Bible, you don't need to be here. Because you don't care. I hope you don't care what I think. You care what God thinks. And we gather to center around his truth and who he is. Secondly, when we gather together, we're going to sing songs that reflect the truth of who God is. And I love this passage. It says, we went to this well-built city. Built, as in it stood before we got there. And as we said during our time of musical worship, we aren't inventing something new here, friends. 
We're not blazing new ground. We're not innovative. We're ancient. We are entering, when we worship, we are entering into a well-built city. We stand on the backs of the apostles and of the saints of old. We stand on the backs of faithful men and women. And so we, write, we, we read prayers and we say creeds and we sing songs that are absolutely ancient. Why? Because we want to remember we're part of a stream that's been going for 2,000 plus years. But we also sing songs that were written last week because we want to remember that we're part of something distinctly future. But we enter into a well-built city, and by that we mean we remember we're part of a story that didn't start today, but that started at the dawn of creation. And we get, this is our moment in this time where we get to carry the baton, but we do so reminding ourselves that this is a relay, friends. And there were people that ran the race way before we got it handed off to us. And so the truth that we gather around is ancient, present truth. It's truth that was and that is and it is to come. And I don't know about you, but I want my life to be built on a foundation that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm isn't that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the sin that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm is coming so that we can say on that day when my strength is fading, when the end draws near and the time has come, still my soul will sing your praise unending 10,000 years and then forevermore, forevermore. Aaron and I don't pick songs that we hear on Caleb and like the sound of. We choose songs intentionally with you, the body of South, in mind, with the scriptures in our hearts saying, God, we want one central message for this moment and this time. Give us the right songs, the right truth that we can sing, and we want songs that will help you stand on the day when the storms do come. We circle around a deeper reality. What if you viewed your time in worship, what we're doing here? is building a foundation, a foundation on truth and a foundation that will stand. Listen to the way that David continues and ends. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. May they be secure who love you. Peace be within your walls and security within your towers. For my brothers and companions sake, I will say, peace be within you. For the sake of the house of the Lord, our God, I will seek your good. I've always read that verse 6 and thought, well, we should be praying for 
the city of Jerusalem and that there would be a ceasing of war in Jerusalem. And indeed, I do think we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem. I also think we should pray for the peace of Paris. I think we should pray for the peace of Baghdad. I think we should pray for the peace of Jakarta. I think we should pray for the peace of Baton Rouge. I think we should pray for the peace of Dallas. I think we should pray for the peace of the globe. So by saying we should pray for the peace of Jerusalem, is David implicitly saying that we should only pray for the peace of Jerusalem or that we should even pray for the peace of that specific plot of land that we call Jerusalem? No, we should pray for the peace of everywhere. This is our Father's world. And what if David the psalmist doesn't mean first and foremost that you should pray that there is peace in the literal city of Jerusalem? What if, first and foremost, he means that you should pray for the peace that's found in Jerusalem to reside in you, in you? See, listen to what he says. He says, pray for the peace of Jerusalem. That's, that, that's the Hebrew word shalom. Will you say it with me? Shalom. shalom. Right. It means peace, but more than that, it's this picture of healing. It's a picture of wholeness. It's a picture of vitality. It's a picture of the life that happens when God breathes on it. That's what shalom is. This word security is the word shalva. Will you say it with me? Shalva in the Hebrew. And it means security, but it means more than just like having a bank account that can sustain you or having an insurance policy that you're comfortable with or having a security system in your house that works. It's a security where you can sit back. Actually, in the Hebrew, the root word comes from the word leisure, where you can sit back confident and comfortable with the reality that God is good, that God is for you, that God is over you, and that God is within you. So what if David is saying, sure, pray for the peace of the city of Jerusalem, but more than that, pray that the kind of peace that's found in Jerusalem is also found in you. And that's what worship does. Worship, it shapes us, it makes us and defines us through what we're going to call shalom. We're shaped through the peace that we get. When we sing songs, oh, for a thousand tongues to sing my great Redeemer's praise, that we remember we're gathered with the church below and this church above, when we remember that all of our lives, Jesus is worthy of every single nook and every single cranny and every single moment of every single thought, when we are reminded of the fact that sin will have no dominion over us because we are no longer under law, but we're under grace, when we are reminded of the truth that you cannot out his grace, that his steadfast love is faithful to hold you even in in your failure, when we remember those things, we step into a peace that just overwhelms us. I hope it does. You will never hear me say, leave your pain and leave your baggage at the door and come to worship. Have you ever heard somebody say something stupid like that? No offense, but it is. Because here's what we're saying. If we say, all right, leave it at the door and come and worship, what we're saying is God can't handle the real big stuff in your life, that God can't handle the pain, that God can't handle the doubt. No, 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 no. He can, and I invite you every single Sunday, bring the doubt, 
Bring the pain. Bring the hurts. Bring the questions. Bring the grit. Bring the dirt. Bring it all to worship. Because in worship, we bring our pain and our baggage, but in worship, our pain and our baggage meet his provision and his promise. That's what happens in worship. And when that takes place, we are shaped through shalom, peace. When I was on vacation the last few weeks, I had the chance to read a book called The Nightingale. Loved it. It's about World War II, set in World War II, and it follows one of the main characters' names is Isabel. And Isabel is part of the resistance against the Nazi domination of France during the first part of World War II. And she's this sort of feisty character, and she pushes back, and she helps rescue airmen who have been shot down and gets them across the border of France and through the mountain passage down into Spain where they can be safe. And as part of their journey, they set up these safe houses along the way. They're places that people who are behind enemy lines can come and can get a good night's sleep and can get a warm meal. They're places where people who are behind enemy lines can meet and connect and look at a map and then go back out for the journey that they've been called on. I picture the practice of worship as a safe house. It's not the destination. It's a fuel stop along the journey of faith. A place where we can get fed, look at a map, and head back out on the journey. Friends, part of the problem with quote-unquote the church in America is that we've started to view church as something you attend. You cannot attend church. You are the church. So when we gather on a Sunday morning, if you're here and we start, both of you, you hear me say this. You hear me say, welcome South Fellowship Church. Not welcome to South Fellowship Church. This is where we meet, but the church is who we are. And this is just the gathering for worship is a safe house along the road of following Jesus. You don't attend church. You are the church. So you think about this psalm. They're singing it walking to Jerusalem, many people. And they're walking there to celebrate one of three feasts. One of the feasts they would go and celebrate is the, the feast of Passover. It would be the feast where they remembered that God passed over them in Egypt, spared their firstborn. It was um, a feast that was symbolic of the rescue and the redemption and the blood that covered them because they were followers of God. But as part of that, they would have seen all this blood flowing through the streets of Jerusalem because you'd have um, arguably a million plus people descending upon this city and all of them wanting to sacrifice a lamb to remember that there's a peace that flows in Jerusalem. And as blood flowed through the streets of Jerusalem because of those animal sacrifices, they were reminded that peace is only found in the blood of the Lamb. Centuries after those feasts were set up, you have Jesus of Nazareth who gets on the back of a donkey, walks into the city of Jerusalem, and claims to be the Lamb of God. Writing about that walk, 
the prophet Isaiah said centuries before Jesus came. He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. And upon him was a chastisement that brought us peace. And by his wounds, we are healed. Friends, Jesus is the peace of Jerusalem. And as followers of Jesus, we come to worship, expecting, anticipating that there will be a peace that flows over us because Jesus is for us, in us, and above us, that he is good and we gather under his banner. And so friends, I don't know how you walk in these doors today, but I do know this. I know that peace is available to you today because peace has a name and his name is Jesus. And when we gather together, we gather to remind ourselves that we are part of a bigger story and we step back into it. And we don't step back into it by stepping into a sanctuary, no. Our worship is not about a sanctuary. Our worship is about a savior. Our worship is not about going and climbing a mountain. Our worship is about a man. His name is Jesus. Our worship is not about gathering in a place. Our worship is bowing at the feet of a person. That's why we come together. And when we come together God starts to, through the practice of worship, shape us to live lives of worship because he meets us here in a unique place, in a unique way. He reorients us around the truth that his grace is sufficient in every season and his love is steadfast in holding us. And he reminds us that there is still a peace that flows from Jerusalem. His name is Jesus, the Messiah. So friends, I have no qualms about encouraging you to not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but to do so all the more as you see the day approaching, encouraging and loving one another, remembering that the practice of worship frees us and releases us to live lives of worship for the glory of God, for the joy of us, his people and for the good of his beautiful world. Let's pray. So before you go rushing out of here, I just want to give you a moment to take a deep breath. I don't know originally why you came this morning. But my hope is that now you know why you came. That maybe now you, you realize I came because the practice of worship shapes me for a life of worship. And that's the goal is that we would do this every moment of every day. So Jesus, I thank you for the way that you meet us in this place. Thank you for the way that your presence, we encounter your presence when we gather together. God, I thank you for the way that as we circle and reorient ourselves around your truth, you awaken things in us. And Lord, I thank you for the peace of Jerusalem, the peace of Jesus that covers us, that frees us, that heals us, and releases us. So Lord, I pray that you continue 
as we think about this moment and this time, that it would burst something in us that would last far longer than the hour plus that we have together, but that it would shape and define our whole lives. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that the storm isn't that stands when the storms of life come. And so when we reorient around reality, what we're doing is we're saying, Jesus, we want you to build a firm foundation because we know that